0: Welcome to the second episode of the Seventy Six Cents Podcast. I'm joined with Natan here. Uh, today we're going to talk uh, mostly about kind of where the Sixers are after the first quarter or so of the season. Um, but we wanted to start off by kind of jumping into two big games the Sixers played this week. Uh, starting off yeah. with the with the Raptors versus Sixers on Wednesday. Um, Sixers ultimately lost um, to the Raptors, but it was. Uh, it was definitely a good game for the Sixers as a limbless test to see kind of where they stacked up with the class of the East. Um, time. what was your uh, take on the game?
1: Yeah, I mean, I guess my take is that, you know, the, the Raptors are good. You know, they're, they're really good. I mean, Kawhi, is, he's a beast. He's, he's come back really strong this year. I mean, it's kind of showing that while the Raptors took a big risk in, you know, making that trade for him, it looks like it's paying off. I mean, they're really deep. Um, they're really talented. I think, honestly, I don't think we match up too well with them. I mean, we hung in that game for a while, but they kind of took over in the fourth. I think, you know, I think, um, Kawhi matches up really well against Simmons. Simmons seems to have a really tough time playing against him. Um, they play Embiid really hard. So I think they're, they're the class of the East right now. And it's going to be, that's going to be a challenge to, to beat them come playoff time.
0: Yeah, I think the big thing I saw was I remember when they played the Raptors uh, really early in the season, and after that game, I, I texted you that it really showed that we needed to make a trade for another big piece because there was a pretty significant gap between this team and where the Raptors yeah. were in, in early November. And, you know, obviously it was a tough loss, but at the same time, you know, I felt we bridged that gap a little bit with the addition of Butler. Butler had a huge definitely. game. He, he definitely brings a, sco- a scoring uh, punch to this team that we lacked before, um, and I, but I think the big thing, which you kind of touched on, was we're probably at least like one or two guys away from really competing with the Raptors. So right yeah. now, I, think, I right now I think we can't really hang with them. But you know, I'm reserving judgment until we see kind of how the how this team fills out as being closer to the deadline and you know potential buyout candidates.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm probably going to get the details wrong here, but I think it was like somewhere in the late third or, or early fourth that Raptors bench came in and actually, I mean, actually extended the lead for them. Um, You know, it just shows the difference there and, you know, we are not deep. I mean, especially in making that trade for Butler, it just, it took our depth away even more so. So I think that, like you said, we definitely are at least a piece away from, from really being able to go toe to toe with them. Definitely. Um, So the other big game this week
0: was uh, against the Pistons on Friday and the Pistons were fourth in the Eastern Conference coming into this game, um, and they jumped out to a big lead in the first half. Uh, Sixers really battled back and uh, took over in the fourth quarter for the win. It was a pretty impressive performance, especially without Embiid, you know, really showed why we got Butler as Butler stepped up and had 38 points for us. Um, You know, Natan, what did you see in that game?
1: Yeah, no, I mean, you said it. It's, it shows why we got Butler. I mean, he came down the stretch. I think he scored 11 points in the fourth quarter to really seal that game. Um and I'll tell you, I mean, in a week where you've only got two games and you lose the first game of that week, you better be pretty confident in sitting and beat on that second game um when you say you're sitting him just for rest because that would have been a really big game to lose. That would have been a problem if we lost that one. I mean, you don't want to you don't want to go 0 and 2 this week. So, um you know, it's looking like a good move by giving them some rest and showing that the, the rest of the guys were able to kind of hang in there. And, um, you know, I think, again, it goes back to showing that we need a – that one of those pieces that we need is another big man because, um, you know, Griffin and Drummond seem to really have their way out there without Embiid on the court. But, again, you know, strong performance by the guys down the stretch there and um, pulling out a much-needed win.
0: Definitely. And, I mean, you touched on it. We're going to touch on it a little bit later on the podcast. But, like, you know, that I I think we've always been talking that we need a stretch four as another piece, which we definitely do um, to replace really what Sarek was giving us. But I think yesterday's game definitely exposed. We probably need a little bit of a a better backup big as well. Um, Amir Johnson um, fouled out in 16 minutes, had zero points, two rebounds. And to your point earlier, uh, Drummond and Blake were just kind of taking it to them all game. So, you know, we're obviously going to have to rest in – time to time, especially as the season goes on. And, like, obviously, God forbid, if he goes down with any, for any extended time, we need to know we have a little bit of an insurance policy. And right now we're, uh, we're not very big behind him. Um, so kind of moving forward, just, we just wanted to touch on the games this week. Obviously, they were two pretty big games for us to kind of see where we stack up in the East. And, you know, I think ultimately they played out how we expected them. The Raptors, on the you know, especially on the road, are the class of the East, you know, and we're better than the Pistons, and we took care of business. Um, so transitioning, you know, obviously we haven't really talked too much since the beginning of the season. I uh, wanted to, you know, we're about a quarter of the way through the season at this point. Um, so I really wanted to touch base on kind of where the Sixers are at this point. So obviously for the first 25 games, the biggest story was the addition of Jimmy Butler and shipping out Covington and Sarek to make that happen. Um, you know, obviously he's brought a lot to this team. You know, what have you seen so far through uh, his first 12 games as a Sixer?
1: I mean, I think, you know, what, with- what Jimmy brings to this team is, you know, he brings grit, he brings intensity, he brings professionalism. Um, and I think, you know, beyond that, that's, I think those kind of intangibles have really caused a lot of the other guys on the team to step their game up. Um, you know, when you see someone working, coming in and working so hard every day, it motivates you to do the same, right? So I think that's been a really big piece of what he's brought to the team. But from his standpoint of on the court, I mean, we've seen it. He shows it night in and night out. He, he can go out there and he can get his own shots, uh, especially when the offense looks stagnant. You can give him the ball and he can create for himself one-on-one. But, you know, I think the other piece that you're starting to see is he moves really well without the ball. I mean, he gets himself a lot of easy buckets uh, by moving and cutting, uh, and you're starting to see a great rapport with him and Simmons uh, in transition and just in the flow of the offense. And I think he's going to really help Simmons in that sense, too, of um, – you know, I mean, Simmons thrives when he's able to get guys the ball in the right spot and let them and let them succeed. Uh, and Jimmy seems to do that. He he's he seems to be in the right place at the right time. Definitely, um, I don't have the
0: exact stat in front of me. One thing I saw was kind of a, a breakout of how of how Jimmy Butler, you know, the types of plays Jimmy Butler runs uh, last year when he was on the Wolves versus right now on the Sixers, and not surprisingly, the big uh, the big uh, difference was. He was very heavy isolation on the Timberwolves versus right now where he's still pretty heavy isolation but not to the same degree and running plays off of, like, handoffs, which he never does. Or, you know, obviously he's been known as a pick-and-roll player. He's definitely – they've increased that significantly when they use him. Um, So it really shows that he's trying to kind of work his game around the rest of the players on the team, which is really nice to see. I think that was a concern going in. Um, I think to your point, the whole team has stepped up. The Sixers net rating with Butler – uh, is I think four right now after the trade. They were negative 0.3 beforehand, so it shows the Sixers are moving in the right direction. I think the other, I think the other big thing here is he's already had two game winners. Um, he is second in the league since 2015 uh, in game winners with t- 10 seconds or less,
1: and that's what we uh, saw we were getting when we made that trade. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, I think it was on Wednesday during that game against the Raptors. I think Paul Pierce said it. And I really it – was, it, was, it was interesting and good to hear it from him. You know, he, he said that the addition of Jimmy Butler makes this team a very dangerous team come playoff time. You know, and I think we saw it last year, right? It was like we hit that stride, and we were, we were really, really moving uh, in, the, in the regular season at, toward coming down the stretch. I mean, we were winning games, but then all of a sudden come playoff time, it's just everything comes up – is taken up to another level. Uh, and we were able to kind of easily get past Miami, but once we got to Boston, uh, you know they really developed a defensive strategy to kind of eliminate or at least just make Simmons very ineffective. And when you add a guy, a third guy like that, like Butler, it 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 makes it so they can't focus on Simmons like they did. And it's really gonna, I think, open up a lot more for Simmons in the play, come playoff time. Definitely, couldn't agree more.
0: Um, I think the other big storyline arguably the biggest storyline so far is the leap Embiid has taken. Um, I think it's been pretty exciting to see, like, the progression through. At this point, he's now played, you know, three seasons of actual uh, playing with the Sixers. He's kind of following that traditional track of superstardom where, you know, it shows some flashes. You know, it tantalizes as to how we can be that player that we're envisioning. And now this year he's playing like an MVP. Um, shockingly, he's leading the Sixers in minutes right now. He's fourth in the NBA in minutes, which – would have never thought we'd hear him say two right. years ago. Um, you know, he's averaging 27, 13, and 4 right now. Only five players have ever done that first season. All five are Hall of Famers. Um, it's pretty incredible. Um, what's your feeling on beat so far?
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm sure you saw that report, you know, after last night's game, how he was saying how, you know, he's a little bit frustrated with his current role and, you know, with the addition of Jimmy Butler and trying to figure out, you know, where exactly, how exactly the big, our big three kind of fit together. And and we've seen a little bit of that and we've seen him struggling a little bit um, from a statistical standpoint, you know, since the Butler trade. Um, But I think, you know, I think that's just something that, you know, he's maybe a little frustrated, but that's just something that's going to come with time. And that's on Brett Brown a little bit too to figure that out and figure out how to best utilize all three of those guys. But I think from a standpoint of Embiid, you know, I'm going to, take these last few games where he struggled a little bit out of the picture and just look at the body of work he's had so far this year. And, I mean, it's been amazing, honestly. And I think, you know, Brett Brown was saying it all coming into this season. And basically what he was saying is, well, I mean, like you said, first of all, it's his third year in the league, and it's not even a third full season. But this offseason has been the first off season he's had where he's actually been healthy. And I think some people might not really put too much of a premium on that, but that's really important. I mean, this is the first off season where he wasn't spending all of his time rehabbing and getting healthy. He was spending all of his time getting better and honing the, his craft and getting better and playing and getting better at basketball. So I think, you know, we saw that, right? I mean, he just came out of the gate so hot and just looking to just dominate. Um, and I think that his off season work really uh, was what led to that.
0: No, I couldn't agree more. I mean, it's been been pretty incredible. I don't think any of us really saw him take like this kind of leap. He's you know a top three, four player in the league at this point, which is you know obviously what we need it, if we're going to really take that next step as a team. Um, the next big piece here is uh, about Ben Simmons. What do you think about him so far?
1: Yeah, I mean he struggled early, and I think a lot of people were quick to jump on the you know he's taking a step back, sophomore slump, this and that. Uh, but he's really turned it around lately, and I think, you know, those early struggles were less uh, from a standpoint of, you know, him not being prepared, him not putting in the work. I think a lot of it just comes down to a player like Ben Simmons, where he's at in his career and his development, uh, he needs the right players around him to succeed, right? I mean, his, what he does is he puts players in position to succeed, but if they're not making shots, he's not getting the assists, People aren't, uh, you know, going off of him to cover these guys. They're doubling him. So, you know, his success comes with the team's success. Um, The team was kind of struggling earlier. I think that the Jimmy Butler trade has really, really helped him. And I think, you know, he's he's back to the numbers looking like last year. And, I mean, last year's numbers everyone was happy with. I think the biggest thing that I'm looking for him, though, uh, as far as taking that next big step forward, it's not the jump shot. I mean, you'd like to see him take a little bit more, a few more of those kind of little, you know, um, those little elbow t- uh, range shots. But I'm looking for him to fix, to fix the turnover situation, right? I mean, he is, his turnovers are up from last year, and they were already pretty high. I mean, as a team, we're currently 27th in the league in turnovers, and it's pretty rare for a team to be that good and successful and turn the ball over that much. I mean, you see Golden State's always down there, but we don't shoot like Golden State. So we need to really start putting a premium on protecting the ball, uh, and it starts with Simmons. So, I mean, for me, you know, he's got incredible vision. He, he really is a great playmaker. I think he just needs to slow down and just start. He'll, and this will come with time and experience. He just needs to understand when is the right time to really try to put, force a pass in and when not to. Um, but that's where, I, that's where I'm looking for him to make the next big stride in development. Yeah, definitely. I couldn't agree more. I mean, his his stats so far
0: have been pre- actually pretty similar, his general accounting stats this year versus last yeah. year. So I think his struggles have been a little bit overblown. I think it's, you know, a little bit of him, you know, incorporating full, uh, uh, Butler into the offense, you know, has been at times a little rocky. I think the biggest thing, which, you know, we'll kind of segue into our next topic, is like, them trying to play him in full didn't really work. And I think that was a big yeah. reason why his stats where they were
1: absolutely it, it didn't really work and you know when you it's easier to to deal with him not shooting the ball when your other guard is shooting when you got have two, your two starting guards and neither of them wants to shoot the ball it, it it just makes it it just puts it in the spotlight
0: definitely um i mean what's your obviously Fultz got diagnosed with this questionable uh shoulder syndrome the other day um, it looks like he's going to be out three to six weeks. You know, they've talked about training him. Where do you how, how do you think this kind of plays itself out?
1: Yeah, I mean, we talked about this, but I mean, my my take is, you know, I don't know what what to make if this is real or not. I mean, who knows what's going on in this guy inside this guy's head and his body? He's the only one that knows. Um, I really do believe that this whole thing stems from some sort of a physical problem. Um, I think it's developed beyond that to a mental issue as well at this point. But I do believe, like, I just find it hard to believe and almost impossible that you go from being the number one overall pick to forgetting how to shoot just purely from a mental standpoint. You know, I, I really do think that there was something physical in there. As far as this diagnosis and where we're at now, I mean, that, like we talked about, I think it's the right move. I mean, I think we saw that Sixers probably tested the waters a little bit from a trade standpoint and saw that the value was just basically not there. So, I mean, this is like kind of a last-ditch last effort to either have him come back and be a, a valuable piece to this team or give have some sort of trade value, right? I mean, you take him out of the spotlight, you take him out of the games, you let him rehab for however long it takes. I mean, honestly, I'm okay if it's, you know, three months, whatever. But when you bring him back this next time, this is your last opportunity if the only chance of bringing any value to him is him coming back and showing uh, improvement, showing that, you know, not having any of these sort of these weird hitches and whether or not, you know, he's, I think teams will still look at him as basically a rookie and not expect him to necessarily be a polished veteran, but he needs to come back and show no signs of physical issues. And if he does, then we might be able to either utilize him or trade him. Well, I mean,
0: like, kind of taking that the next step, that could also backfire if he does come back and can't actually show that, you know, he's somewhat returning to old form. So if I were to hold a gun to your head, do you think they trade him before they even give the opportunity for him to show in a Sixers uniform if he can actually play once the shoulder issue is resolved?
1: No. I, I, think, that, I think that this plays out with him coming back and playing for the Sixers um, and then getting traded. Interesting. Uh, I, I, I personally disagree. I think at this point,
0: like, it would be too much of a risk for them to, to bring, have him try to recover the sh- from the shoulder injury, bring him back, and then him show that it was probably more mental than physical at this point. And then his trade value, now granted, his trade value is pretty low as it is right now, uh, but I, I, I'm not going to be shocked if they ultimately cut bait at this point and move on and try to at least get something that they can use in the short term to help this team.
1: I guess that's where I'm at, and that's where I don't really know, is, like, what is his value right now? I don't. I honestly don't think his value is anything. Uh, I mean, I guess it, I just don't know what they could get right now, but I, I don't think whatever they could get is of any significance.
0: Yeah, I mean, time will tell. Uh, I think that's a nice yeah. segue into, obviously, we discussed earlier, they need a few pieces to really round out this team. You know, a couple that came to mind when I was looking. I mean, obviously, I think we both agree they need it. A stretch four. They probably need another guard or a wing. So the couple that came to mind for me were uh, Trevor Ariza, uh, Justin Holliday,
1: J.R. Smith. Um, any of that jump out to you? I think, you know, Ariza's that name that's been going around a lot, and I think he makes a ton of sense. I mean, I think that's the ideal guy there, um, whether he ends up getting bought out by the Suns, you know, once he's eligible to for to do for that to happen, or they trade for him. I think he's a really a piece that makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, I think we've talked about Marquise Morris and Kelly Oubre as well. I think, you know, either of those guys can work. And like you said, we really, what we need is we, we need another big man, uh, ideally that can shoot, and we need kind of like a utility wingman. Now, from that perspective, you know, obviously the whole Tyre Smith thing and the and and the. You know, his the injury and kind of everything now being delayed kind of affects that, too. But I think their hope was that Zaire Smith could come in and sort of be that utility wingman. I, I don't know where that – when he's going to be back now at this point, but I think Ariza is the guy. I think that should be their main target. Yeah, I mean, I think, to your point, Zaire Smith is interesting because he probably checks
0: at least some of those boxes on the wing. Um, I think at this point they probably can't rely on him, you know, coming in midseason sure. as a rook to get a, a kind of production out at this point. Um, so it'll be, it'll be interesting. I, I'm not going to be shocked if they really wait to the buyout market at this point. They have a lot of assets they could trade, but any of them is just going to deplete their decks if they do trade them, barring they trade the Miami pick. But, you know, they're going to have to package that Miami pick with something else. So, you know, I don't know if I want them to trade Wilson Chandler or Shaman at that point, because, you know, are we going to get anything back up significant value that really offsets losing those guys as well?
1: No, I, I think that they're in a point right now where they, they can afford to wait for that buyout market.
0: All right. I think at that point, we're going to take a quick break and then move on to the more of the NBA-focused first quarter. All right. So now kind of transitioning more towards uh, first quarter recap of the NBA so far. I wanted to kind of touch on you know who who really jumped out from a player standpoint who's been pretty surprising so far. So who do you think has been the most surprising player in the league through the first twenty twenty five ish games?
1: I w- I'm gonna I want to give you two players here because I've got my most my biggest surprise of the year. But I'd uh, be remiss if I didn't give at least an honorable mention to Derrick Rose. I mean you know coming from a guy who uh, who was a former MVP of the league you know back getting to the numbers that he's at this year wouldn't aren't necessarily that big of a surprise but you know the path that he took I think you just got to give him a little bit of credit here I mean if you look at his at his uh you know his NBA career path he was down in the dumps there for a while and he's having a really good year I mean not he's not like he's having his best career year but he's having a great year for what he's gone through so I wanted to give him a quick shout out in that standpoint but my real um, surprising player of the year is De'Aaron Fox. I mean, you know, he's obviously with a high draft pick, uh, but I don't think anyone would have told you coming into the season that they would have thought he, took, he would have taken the leap that he's taken so far. I mean, you're looking at his points, I mean, he's up to almost 18 points a game. You know, last year he only averaged four and a half assists. He's got that almost up to eight. I mean, he's got he's one and a half steals a game, and he's really the engine that's, that's leading the Sacramento team that's been quite a pleasant surprise themselves. So, uh, Aaron Fox, definitely my, my surprising player of the year so far. Love it. Yeah, I mean,
0: I, I don't, I, all of us, we even said it on the first pod, kind of felt the Kings were going to be, uh, you know, bottom dwellers at this point. Uh, it's pretty amazing right. that they're, like, you know, continuing to maintain this pace where they're a couple games over 500 and, you know, in the middle of the pack of the Western Conference. Um, my big, my uh, surprising player, which shouts to Marcus for calling this on our first podcast. Um, we've talked a little bit about him earlier. Is Blake Griffin that's been having a great year so far? Blake's averaging 25, nine rebounds, five assists, pretty much all career highs at this point. Shooting 36% from three. He's uh, he's running the offense too, which is really exciting. You know, obviously when he's been on the Clippers, he was a little bit handcuffed by having Chris Paul there, who dominates the ball so much that you know they're really yeah. unleashing him and letting him like kind of run point guard a lot. Um, which has been pretty exciting. And, you know, we're kind of seeing a new dimension to Blake Griffin, which is pretty neat to see with what feels like, what, eight to ten years into his career at this point.
1: Yeah, I think Dwayne Casey said something along the lines of, like, he's one of the smartest players he's ever coached, um, which is really interesting to see because you just never saw that side of him before.
0: Definitely. I think it's cool to see him embracing the Pistons as well. Like, obviously, he didn't ask to be traded at the Detroit Pistons. I think that would have first choice, and the fact that he's kind of embracing being on this team and kind of being a leader on this team is pretty neat to see for Blake. He's I've, got, I've kind of taken a total 180 on Blake this year. Um, so let's kind of jump into some of the surprising teams. Uh, my, mine that jumped out at me, you know, I don't know if surprising in the sense of, you know, we didn't think that they were going to be good, but mine is the Bucks. I don't know if I expected them to be this good. Uh, um, you know, we sometimes undersell the importance of coaching changes, and they're now a totally different team under uh, Coach Bud. They currently yeah. lead the league in point differential. They're shooting the most threes, excuse me, the second most threes in the entire league behind the Rockets. Like, this was not a three-point shooting team. They're doing this with Giannis as well, who's not shooting threes and is having an MVP type year. So, I mean, it's been pretty incredible to see their lead. Um Who do you think has been the most surprising on your end?
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, it's kind of leading right from my most surprising player, but it's the Sacramento Kings. I mean, I I legitimately thought we had – a chance at getting the first overall pick from these guys. You know, I obviously, you know, it's with the way that they set up the lottery this year, your top, your bottom four teams have the same odds. I think it is. I thought that they were going to be one of those teams. Um, And even through the first week, two weeks, three weeks, I I was figuring, you know, okay, this is, they're not going to keep this up, but by all accounts, it seems like they are going to be somewhere in that hunt. You know, are they going to make the playoffs? I, I don't know. Probably not. But, I don't think that they're going to be as bad as we all thought, and I think you know it's, that starts with the Aaron Fox, but it's not even just him. I mean, you've got Buddy Heald leading the team in scoring. I mean, I, when 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 they made that trade to uh, w- with with New Orleans, I, I think a lot of people you know almost r- wrote him off, and he's having a really good year. I mean, Willie Cauley Stein's having a good year. Bagley is playing. You know, he was the number two overall pick, and he's coming off the bench. I mean. Um, I think these guys are just, they're in, on the right path, and I'm really surprised by that.
0: Definitely. I mean, we said it earlier. I, I don't think any of us really saw this coming. And I think that, you know, they've pretty very clearly established an identity. Except, uh, except
1: they, like, Vance.
0: Yeah, except Vance. To his credit, except Vance. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, they've very clearly established this identity where they play tough defense, and, you know, they have a pretty electric offense with Darren Fox running the team. Um, you know, which is, is cool to see for, for Kings fans. They have suffered for a long time and to see that they finally have a young, exciting team to sneak for them. Um, yeah, and they're, in,
1: they're interestingly deep, too. You know, I mean, they're, they're not, like, covered with stars, but they've got some depth there. Definitely. Um,
0: you know, on the flip side, I'd be remiss if we didn't talk about some teams that are underperforming. Uh, who do you think has been the most disappointing team so far?
1: I mean, I've, I've got to say it, but it's the Bulls. I mean, they, they've been they've been a disaster. Um, you know, I'm hoping that Laurie Markkinen coming back is going to kind of help that out. But I mean, they've been they've been a mess. Um, you know, they're getting they're I, th- I believe they're getting outscored by, you know, an average of almost 10 points a game, nine points a game. Uh, Zach Levine's putting up numbers, but like you said the other day, they're kind of empty numbers right now. I mean, you can average 23, five and five, but when your team's losing every game, it doesn't really matter if you can't, if you can't stop anyone. So, I mean, they've been really disappointing to me and it hasn't, I'm I'm not even really sure where to pinpoint it. You know, Jabari Parker's been playing not too bad. I mean, I think, you know, like I said, I think Laurie and coming back uh, should help, but they are, they put themselves in, in quite a, uh, quite a ditch there with the start at, at six and 20.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think for them the biggest thing was they just really lack depth. I mean, especially when they're going up going up against teams every single night that have stars across the board. Um, and like you know, the marketing and injury has hurt them for sure. You know, some of their players are not getting quite the contribution they need. Of, I mean, we all knew going into the season they were going to give up a gajillion points, and they're giving up a gajillion points. And the problem is they just can't score enough to maintain to maintain giving up 120 points a game.
1: Uh, yeah, I, I think I think losing Chris Dunn hurt them too because. I mean, he's, he's a defensive point guard, uh, and I think him going down after one game really has hurt them a lot, too.
0: Definitely. Um, my team um, is actually the worst team in the league right now, which is the Suns. Um, I don't think any of us thought the Suns were going to, like, make the playoffs or anything like that, but I think there was some buzz that they could possibly challenge for the They'd be better than they've been in the past. You know, they have a lot of guys that like. They have deandre and they have Devin booker josh jackson tj warren they, they have guys who can score and they've just been a dumpster fire so far um i looked it up yesterday they've already about half their games they've lost by 20 points or more i mean that's just incredible at this point <laughs> through 20 games of the season um you know and obviously ultimately in the long run this is probably the best thing for the Suns. they need to get another three pick to pair with those guys and you know They've had struggles trying to attract free agents. So, you know, getting another young prospect, whether it's Zion Williamson or one of the other Duke guys, is probably their best bet. But I, I think it's been pretty shocking to see it. I think some of us felt that they were, like, maybe going to be around 500 this year. Yeah, they've been a mess. So, um, you know, I, I kind of wanted to end on, you know, a few things. of just kind of talking about the classes in each conference. So, as of right now, who do you think is the best team in each conference?
1: Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think the East is no doubt. I mean, I think it's Toronto. I You could even argue probably maybe that they're the best team in the NBA right now, but uh, they're the best team in the East. Uh, when I look at the West, I mean, it's, it's golden state, you know, I mean, I think they're in sec- in, the, in the two seed right now behind Denver, but they're the best team out there. I mean, since Curry's been back, I think they've won the last three or four games. I think they lost his first game back and then have won the last four. I mean, when he's on the court, they are—it's just a different level. I mean, you talk about him, you talk about Durant, and who's more valuable? What he does to stretch the court and and free up space for everybody else is just amazing. I mean, when he's healthy, they are—they're the class of the of the NBA. Yeah, I mean, I obviously I obviously agree in the East. Like clearly, the Raptors
0: are the best team in the East so far. I went another way with the West. I mean, obviously. We we're going to get into a second who we think's are going to win the finals. If you know at this point, that's a different conversation. I think if we're talking through the first twenty-five-ish games of of the season, I'm going to go with the Nuggets as the best team in the West. You know they currently lead the West in the standings. Their defense has been shockingly incredible this year. They're second in the West in defense, only behind the Grizzlies, which has not always yeah. been their calling card. Um, you know, and they're for real. I, I looked at it. This is just some of the teams they've already been this year. They've been the Raptors, the Trailblazers, the Thunder, the Celtics, the Clippers, the Pelicans, the Warriors. I mean, those are legit wins. The Nuggets are for real. Um, you know, will they, be, will they be there come playoffs and be competing with the Warriors? That remains to be seen. But, you know, I, I feel like it would be unfair to not give them their credit at this point through 25 games. Um, you know, but that transitions nicely as, you know, if I were to hold a gun to your head as so far but what we've seen through 25 games, who do you think wins the finals, and who do you think wins the finals?
1: I mean, I'm going to stick with those two teams. I think it's Golden State-Toronto uh, right now, and I think Golden State wins. But I think I think Toronto takes them deep. I mean, we kind of saw it um, when Kawhi was on San Antonio. That they 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 looked like they might have been able to win to beat Golden State in that in that matchup. Granted, he went down in the first game, but I mean, as soon as he went down. Uh, Golden State took over. That Kawhi can guard anybody. I mean, he brings such a such a defensive element to that team, and he brings leadership. He brings uh, he brings championship. You know, um, he he he's been there and he's done that. So, I think that Golden State wins in seven. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, obviously I had
0: to give the Nuggets their due, but I'm with you that I think the, the finals is Warriors-Raptors uh, at this point. You know, the, the Warriors have, er, have earned that respect until they show otherwise at this point. Um, but I agree with you. I think it's a close series. I think I had Warriors over the Raptors in six. I could see it going seven games. You know, I think the Raptors, they're like ten deep at this point, which usually, usually they say that, you know, the lineup's short in the playoffs, and, you know, that's not as relevant. But, I tend to disagree in that regard, you know, given that the Warriors at this point have a pretty thin bench, you know, as we saw when the Raptors played the Sixers on Wednesday, you know, they took control of that game when the benches came in. I mean, I could see that playing out of the finals as well when, you know, you have guys like Fred Van Bleet and Balanchunas going up against Quinn Cook and Damon Jones and all these guys who are really just not getting it done for the Warriors on their bench. Like I could see this series going six or seven games and, you know, I wouldn't be shocked if the Raptors
1: won, but, as of right now, I'm still going to give it to the Warriors in six. Now, I'm going to throw something back uh, your way here. So let's go with that pro- projection happening, uh, and the Warriors beat the Raptors in six games. Where does What happens to Kawhi?
0: I think it's a great question.
1: Um, I, I, I
0: still think he moves to a bigger market than the Raptors, but it, that would be a tough a tough pill to swallow if you're the Raptors in that situation because you basically did everything in your power to try to prove to Kawhi that you're a legit contender. Um, I, I would think he moves just because at this point, I, I think the Raptors would be a little bit handcuffed of really building that much more around that team. They could obviously trade uh, Lowry at this point and try to get another piece that way, but Lowry has a contract that's arguably not tradable at this point. So I, I still kind of think uh, Kawhi would go to like a Clippers or a Knicks and try to team up with whether it's Durant or you know some some other big name star. Um, maybe it's the Sixers. Who knows? But um, I still kind of think he goes to a bigger market at this point. But it would definitely be a fascinating conversation if they were to go to the finals and really give the Warriors a run for their money.
1: Yeah, that would be tough. That would be a tough look. So then, do you think if the if the Raptors somehow win, do you think that's basically the only way he stays? Yeah, or, I mean, he care? or does he not care? Or does he
0: really not care and he's just he's gone? I mean, look. We, we've we had what two years of Kawhi now where he's kind of an enigma when it comes to this kind of stuff. I don't yeah. think any of us, really, I don't think any of us really know. Um, you know, I, 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 think if they, if they win the finals, that'd be pretty unprecedented for him to decide to leave at that point. Um, so probably I'd give that to you. If they win the finals, he probably stays, but who really knows? I mean, who knows what really is his priorities at this
1: point? Yeah. I mean, I don't think, I think of, of any player in the league, he's the hardest to get a read on. I mean, the, he really is.
0: Oh, definitely. Um, I think that's kind of a good place to stop. I mean, the Sixers have some exciting games that they're playing, uh, second half of a home at home against the Pistons on Monday. So it should be kind of exciting to see if Embiid plays in that game. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you know, the best thing that happened uh, for Andre Drummond yesterday was that Embiid sat out. So you got to assume Embiid plays on Monday. And, you know, he's going to take some more real estate in, in Andre Drummond's head. Um, yeah. So it should
1: be exciting. Yeah, and, and- – I'd say i you know, he Airbnb'd his uh, his apartment in Drummond's head for uh, Friday night's game, but I, I expect him back on the on the back end and the home side of that of that of that uh, matchup.
0: For sure, for sure. So uh, on that note, uh, we'll catch you guys later. This has been the second episode of the Seventy Six Cents podcast. Thank you.